Hey guys, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is David Dorner, and I am the teaching pastor here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it is so good to be with you. Our mission in this world is to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus for a lifetime or if your journey's just begun, we hope that this message will speak powerfully to your heart, that it will reveal something that God desires to cultivate in your life, and that you'll be drawn to the person of Jesus as a result. We hope these next few moments encourage you, challenge you, and inspire you to be who God has created you to be. We hope you enjoy it. Well, good morning. Welcome to Frontline. How is everybody doing this morning? Awesome. The sun was out. What is that bright sphere in the sky when I saw it, right? Have we had enough rain or what? Uh, so thankful that you are here this morning. My name is Blake. I have the privilege of being uh, the executive pastor, not only here at Frontline, but of the Zero Collective. Uh, my role here is kind of behind the scenes, so you don't see me too much time up here teaching. So when I get the opportunity, man, I love it, and uh, I'm excited about it. But uh, we are in the middle of a series called Summer in the Psalms. So we're looking through the, some different psalms uh, in the Bible there, and we're just kind of taking a look and saying, how does that affect our lives? How do, how do we work into that? And so uh, today we're going to look at Psalm 32. So if you have your Bibles or if you have phone, iPad, whatever, you can start making your way uh, to Psalm 32. But uh, I hate it when pastors just jump right into passages and they give you no context. Anybody else out there? It's like, I have no idea what, where we're going with this thing, but... Uh, so I always feel like when you just jump into a passage uh, without, uh, without knowing the context, it's kind of like coming in the middle of a movie. And aside from a Hallmark movie in which every plot is the same, can I get an amen out there for any guys? That, yeah, I watch them with it. It's like every movie starts the same and the middle is the same and the end is the same. And if that kiss happens at the end, if they miss that kiss, man, I'm pissed, okay? So I'm just going to tell you, but that always happens. So I, I don't get angry all that often. But uh, if you get in a regular movie, those all those series all change. So I'm saying here, what what are we talking about today? So let me give you a little context about Psalm 32. Uh, so Psalm 32 is written by David. Uh, it's King David. So David and Goliath David, if you remember uh, him. So he is now the king of Israel here. And uh, this psalm is written after his adulterous affair with Bathsheba. And so, if you don't know that story, let me give you the Reader's Digest version for those of you my age, or I'll give you the Cliff Notes version for probably everybody else in the room that's a little bit younger. So, here's, here's the Reader's Digest version or the Cliff Notes version of how that happened. David was the king of Israel, and he had everything going his way. The path was laid out for him. He was living the high life and uh, nothing could be better for him. In fact, the prophet Nathan came to him and said to him, David, your kingdom is going to last forever. Your kingdom will endure forever. And King, King David was like, yeah, man, this is the good life. I am here. And so it is springtime and David should be at work, but he's not at work. He's at home. And, and work for David was war. And so David should have been at war, but he's at home. And he finds himself with a little bit too much time on his hands. His marriage isn't going real great right now. And he's lonely. And it's the evening. And it's dark. And he makes his way up to a quiet, dark place. And he watches a little porn. Oh, now, now. Pornography looked a little bit different in those days than it does now. 
For David, he was in the top on the roof of the castle there. But make no mistake about it, it was pornography. He's looking down onto the, the roofs there, and he spots himself a beautiful woman. And not only does he spot it, he just watches for a little while. When all of a sudden it, he realizes, you know what, I don't have to just watch that. I can have that. And so he sends somebody down to bring her back up into the, into the palace. And she comes into the palace, and in, the, in a matter of just hours, he rapes her, he molests her, and then he sends her back on her way after his needs are met. Maybe not how you heard the story before, but basically how the story goes. He thinks he's all good with it. Everything's fine, you know, I just had a one-night stand, I'm all well, and everything's great. But... A little note comes a few months later, and it says, guess what? I'm pregnant. Now, all of a sudden, David has a problem. He has to figure out what to do with this. So David has this great idea, and he says, you know what? I'll summon her husband back, and he can make a little, you know, with her, and it'll look like his, his child. So he calls for Uriah. That's her husband. Uriah works for David. He's at war. So he comes back home. David says, hey, man, you're just doing an awesome job. Why don't you just go home and have a little fun, and uh, everything will be all swell. But Uriah is an upstanding man, and he has character, and he has values. And he, instead of going home, he lays at the palace on a mat, and he never goes home. Well, plan A failed, and David's like, well, what would I do now? So he resorts to plan B, and he says, okay, here, I know what I'm going to do. I'll get them drunk, you know, because everybody, you know, when they're drunk, you know, that's going to that's happen. So he, he, brings, he brings Uriah back in. He gets him drunk, but here again, Uriah is an upstanding man filled with character, and he lays at the mat instead of going home because here's what he, th he says. How can I be in there with my beautiful wife when my men are still out fighting? So plan B works, or doesn't work. So... David goes on to plan C. Plan C is, you know what? I have to eliminate the problem, so I have to eliminate Uriah. And so basically what he does, he takes a note, and he sends it back with Uriah, back to the war there. Uriah doesn't read the note because he's a gentleman, an upstanding man. He gives it to the general, and the general opens the note and says, oh, put you up in the front lines and then pull back so you can be killed. So guess what happens? That's what happens. He gets up there, and he dies. David, he's thinking, man, okay, finally, plan C worked. I can wash my hands of this. That's all good and done. I'll just wait a little bit, a proper time of mourning, and I can be the upstanding man and say, oh, this is the poor widow. I need her in my life. I'll take care of her. Why don't you come be one of my wives? And so that's what David does. He thinks everything's all good. Capiche, right? Everything's right. Okay. Except the prophet Nathan comes to him once again. He says, David. What have you done? What have you done? As, as I'm thinking about that story, it kind of reminded me of one of my favorite commercials. Why don't, you, why don't you take a look, see if you see the parallels. Carl, what have you done? Is that the best line? I just love the part where he just says, yes. <laughs> yes, they'll notice. David, what have you done? Y you slept with somebody else's wife. Do you think anybody will notice? Uh, she's pregnant. Uh, do you think anybody will notice? Uh, you killed her husband. Uh, do you think anybody will notice? What have you done? Now, my friends, this would be a terrible story, an absolute terrible story if it ended right there. But this story follows the entire story of the Bible. And that entire story of the Bible is this, is that there is sin and then there is forgiveness. 
And not only is there forgiveness, but there's redemption. And so this story follows that. And my friends, this is where we pick up Psalm 32. But before we do, I want to have you take a look at this question right here. If you had to choose, would you rather? Would you rather be forgiven or found innocent? If you had to choose, would you rather be forgiven or found innocent? So let's jump into the text. Look at here. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him and whose spirit is no deceit. Now, now I highlighted the words blessed. You won't find that in your Bible. You won't find that on your iPad. But when I was in seminary, one of my professors said, Blake, hey, when you see things repeated in the Bible, circle them. Because usually that's what it is very important. So I just saved you $60,000 worth of seminary right there. But anyway, this is, this is important because he uses it twice. And so I highlighted it there. It says blessed. Now, really, after I just told you that entire story of David, I just told you all the things he did. Is that the first word you would use? Is that the first word you would use? Say like, oh, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Uh, I think there might be other ones. I, if I was writing this scripture, this is, this is how I would write this scripture right here. It would say, cursed is the man whose transgressions are found out. Cursed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and whose spirit there is no, no deceit. David, though, he uses the word blessed. Why? Why in the world does he use the word blessed? Let's look at the last part of this, this message, right, or the last part of this verse here. It said, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not account against them and whose spirit there is no deceit. See, what David is doing here, David is not only reminding himself, but he's reminding God that you are a God not only who forgives, but you are a God who forgets. And that's a really important distinction to make. Because I think on this side of heaven, on this side of heaven, I think a lot of us can forgive, but we have a hard time forgetting Am I striking a chord here? Am I striking a chord? I, I, if, if my wife does something against me, man, forgiven, forgiven. I mean, I love you, I do. But still in the back of my mind, and no matter how much I try, it'll still be back there. It'll still be back there. When I was telling the story here of David and Bathsheba, I'm wondering if some things turned in your mind where you're remembering something. Maybe as you listen to that story, you kind of relate to Bathsheba in this story. Maybe for you, you were violated. Maybe somebody took advantage of you. Maybe somebody even raped you. First, I want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry if that happened to you. The second I want to say is you are in a good spot here at Frontline. We are here for you as a church. We love you. We exist for you. Maybe in that story there, you, you more relate to David. Maybe you're the one who left the marriage. And now you come here and you're filled with guilt and you're filled with trepidation. Like, I'm stepping back into church. What would they think of me if they only knew what I did? Let me tell you this. We love you. We're here for you. Frontline exists for you. Maybe you relate to a character in the story who's not mentioned, but, oh, they're there, all right. They're all there. That, that is uh, David's wife, 
Michael, maybe you relate to her. Maybe your spouse left, and you're left to pick up the pieces. And you're here this morning, and you're wondering, gosh, if I just knew where to go, you're in a safe place. Frontline exists for you. Or maybe you find yourself looking from the outside in, and you're saying, like, wow, maybe you're a byproduct of a divorce in your family. Maybe you're a byproduct of, of um, a, a rape. Maybe you're, you're coming in here today and you don't have any clue why the Lord brought you into here this morning, but you showed up on a Sunday morning on June 27th. I'm going to say Frontline is for you. Frontline loves you. Frontline exists for you. We are a church that cares for the broken and the down. There's, there's two tendencies that every person is born with in this world. And here, here's the two tendencies. The tendency to sin and the tendency to hide. So think back. At the, at the start of creation, our first two parents, Adam and Eve, if you think back to them, uh, what had happened? Adam and Eve were in the garden and they sinned. And then what immediately followed after that? They hid. Uh, think about their kids. Second generation. You got Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel, and then what does he do? He hides. Think about Moses. Moses, we go turn, turn a few more chapters in your Bible there, and you look at Moses. Moses uh, saw an Egyptian slave master beating one of the Egyptian slaves. And what does Moses do? He rises up, and he kills that slave master. And then what does he do? He hides him. And we got David and Bathsheba. All throughout history, we have these tendencies to sin and to hide. We are inclined to sin. We are equally inclined to hide it. If, if you don't believe me, let me introduce you to somebody. This right here, that's my grandson. <laughs> Excuse me. Voice left. That's any cute. That's awesome. That's Hudson. Hudson is free, or three, however you want to say it. But uh, he, he, man, I love my grandkids. I have four grandkids. Every Friday, I get to take care of my grandkids. We call it Be Paul Friday, and I get the privilege of just watching over them. My wife works on that day, so I don't have anything to do, and Lord knows I don't do anything here at church, so I got a day open. And so I, I work on Fridays, I watch my grandkids. Um, and, uh, and I just love that opportunity just to invest in their lives and to build into them. And so on a particular Friday, a few weeks ago, uh, I had the kids and I was taking care of Hudson's little sister, Sage, upstairs. I was changing a diaper, uh, which I do change diapers, by the way. So good to know if you ever need me. But uh, only my grandkids, though, not yours. And so I was changing that diaper and, and Hudson was downstairs. And I come down the stairs and as I'm walking down the stairs, I just noticed these little scratches on the wall. And they're about that high. And I have no idea who made those, right? I can't believe. There's two little dinosaurs there. Apparently, the T-Rex and the Brontosaurus were having some sort of epic battle on my wall, and they created a little scratch there. So I call Hudson over, and I say, hey, Hudson, uh, how did these get on here? Hudson, classic kid response, classic kid response. That's all he did, like that. That's all he did. And I'm like... You know, I saw the scratches, and, and it wasn't all that big of a deal. So let me just tell you real quick, your perspective changes a little bit when you're a grandparent versus a parent. Uh, as a parent, when I had the little scratches on the wall there, and that just kind of, you know, made me a little bit mad. In fact, you know, you bring kids over, like, this is why we can't have nice things, right? This is what, as you, parents, you look at me? Here's the deal when your, your grandkids do it. You kind of look at it, and you go like, that kind of could be artwork, you know, right there. That's, that's a little bit different. 
Are your grandparents, are you tra tracking with me out there? How about fingerprints on the glass, okay? As a grandparent, you're a little bit hesit more hesitant to wash those off because you look at them and go, those are my grandkids. Those are my grandkids. Like that. But as a parent, man, you're doing that. But we are all inclined to sin and to hide it. I come, I come back down the stairs a little bit later, and, and not only do I have those scratches there, but now the scratches are blue. How, how did the scratches get blue? And, I, and I'm looking a little bit, and what I realized is during my absence, Hudson went and got a blue dish rag, okay, and he got it wet, and then he started rubbing it out. He's trying to hide off the things. And so we all sin and hide. Again, it was an artistic impression. I, was, I thought it was really worth taking a picture, but I didn't. I'm sorry. But uh, we all do that. We all do that. So I want to ask you this question. What sin in your life are you trying to hide? What sin in your life are you trying to hide? If we were to put your sin up on the screen... Like David's sin right here. What sin would be on there right now that you would want to run back to that tech booth and start pulling cables or you'd be up there going like, please don't look at it or you'd be exiting this door right now? What sin are you trying to hide? Because we all hide our sins. We all do. In the church, we're really, really good at hiding our sins. This is what we do in the church. We relabel them. We relabel our sins. As long as we don't have to call them sins, we're good. We'll call them indiscretions, Okay. Call them no big deals. Hey, I just, I just left the path a little bit. But we have to call them what they are, and they are sins. Every therapist, every counselor in this world will tell you right up front, identifying the problem right off the bat is the first step in order to fix it. And that's what David did here. Take a look at this next verses here. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him and whose spirit is no deceit. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, Lord, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. David does something here that is so rare, so uncommon these days. And he identifies it, and he calls it, and he names it what it is, and it is a sin. Now, this might be old Blake here you're getting. This might be cantankerous old Blake. This might be get off my lawn old Blake that you're going to hear in just a second here. But here's what I've noticed over the years. And please, please, you can fight back on this because I've, I've got proof if you want to know. Here's what I noticed. Nobody wants to take responsibility for their sins. Are you tracking with me? Do you see it online? Everybody's pointing a figure at everybody else, and they're not looking at the three fingers coming back at them. They're taking the little speck out of your eye, and they got the big plank in their own eye. Are you finding that too? David doesn't do that. David calls a sin a sin, and we have to learn to do the same, too, same thing too. We can't hide behind these relabeling and these veneers that we throw out there. Not only does David take acknowledge of it, but it really to the fact that he doesn't just lend it lip service. He actually feels it. So read this next part here. It says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night. Your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Do you feel the pain? Do you feel the weight of his sins there? 
they weren't just things that he just whiffed away. Sometimes I wonder if we do that in church and we say like, oh, you know, I'm sorry I did this or did that. But do we really feel like we're weight of it? Do we feel the weight and the sorriness of it? What that meant for God, what that meant for Jesus on the cross when our sins actually came to him? Do you feel that? That's what David's getting at here. He felt the weight. Now, I know this next part right here is going to be a little hard for you guys to grasp. So I'm going to try to take it really slow here for you, okay? Apparently, there's this season in the world that's called summer, okay? I know in Michigan, we don't know what that is. But, you know, apparently in the summer, there's heat and it saps you. Okay, but I, I know it's just a, it's a rare concept for all of us here, but try to lean into that. That's what David's feeling here right now. He's feeling the weight of his sin. Here, here's how I think most of us operate, and I operated this way for years. Maybe you did too. Uh, there's, there's this sin between me and God, and, and I think to myself like that, I think there's like this cosmic celestial ledger that's up in the sky up there and on one side is listed all of my sins it kind of looks like this i've got all of my sins listed on the one side and then on the other side is listed as is, is it forgiven or is it not if the box is checked i'm good but if it's not i'm I, i'm not good does anybody else feel like and live this way? This is a heavy way to live. I lived this way for years. And my hope and my dream was that when I die someday, every box is checked. Every box is checked. But God doesn't want us to live that way. God has no, does not want us to live in the fear of having our boxes checked or not. God calls us to live and something much, much more than that. God calls us to live not only uh, in a way of forgiveness, but this is where I want to get to today. And this is where I, I, I really want to. It's not forgiveness we ultimately want. It's innocence. It's not forgiveness. It's innocence. Many times we settle for forgiveness. And forgiveness is great. Forgiveness is great. We should be forgiving, forgiven. But the ultimate prize the ultimate prize is for us to find to be innocent. We are innocent before a holy God. Our God calls us not only to, be, to come to him with our sins and come to him with, with the things that we do wrong, but our God wants to not only take that, and he does the thing that only God can do, and he forgets them, and he forgets them. Look at this definition real quick here. Forgiveness is a conscious and deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance toward a person who has harmed you regardless of whether they actually deserve it. Now, that's great. Forgiveness is a conscious, deliberate decision, and we should do that. We release those feelings of resentment towards somebody. But here, my friends, here's what innocence is. Innocence is wiping the slate entirely clean. Not only doing that, but it's restoring a relationship to its fullness before, mark that, before the harmful actions took place. My friends, that is what God calls us to. He doesn't just want to forgive you. He wants to restore you. Remember the entire book of Scripture and in this story, in Psalm 32, it all leads to this. There's forgiveness, or sin, there's forgiveness, and then finally, 
there's restoration. So the question begs, how do, how do we live into that? How do we move from forgiveness into innocence? So here's a few, just few thoughts from some observations that I'm looking at here. Um, the first observation that, that I'm looking at here is uh, it's not what you did, it's what you do next. It's not what you did, it's what you did next. For many of us, I think we live over here, we live in our sin, we live in our condemnation, we live in that guilt, and we never take that one step over to do what's next. And that's identifying the problem and then making the move towards innocence. We'll, we'll live over here and we try to hide our sins. And if we hide it, it just gets worse. But if we're over here and we confess our sins, now we're moving towards innocence. So it's not what you did. It's what you do next. Second, second uh, observation. <clears throat> it's not only a judge we are dealing with, it's a loving father. It's not only a judge we are dealing with, it's a loving father. For, for many of us, I think this, this is, and this is my view for many years, many views, is when things are going great, when things are going splendidly, isn't that a great word? Splendidly. I'm just, things are going my way. He's my loving father. I mean, I love you. Father, thank you for watching over me. Thank you for taking care of me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for making things right. But the minute I screw up, the minute I screw up, all of a sudden he puts on the gown, he takes out the gavel, and now he's the judge. Now he's pointing the finger at me, and he's saying, this is what you did wrong. This is what you did wrong. Our God is a God of justice. If if you don't believe me, you can read the rest of the story of Samuel, or read the rest of the story in 2 Samuel of David and Bathsheba. But not only is our God a, a just judge, but more importantly, and listen in, he's a loving father. He's a loving father. And what loving father doesn't want to just get down there and open up his arms, and when you screw up, you come running to the father, and he wants to forgive you. That's what we serve. We get that mixed up so many times. Don't forget that. He's a loving father. Third observation. It's not the act or the consequences. It's our predisposition we should worry about. We're all going to sin. It's just who we are. I talked about that earlier. You're going to sin and you try to hide it. It's not the act or the consequences. It's our predisposition towards it. So, uh, I'm a huge sports fan. Any other huge sports fan out there? I love football. Uh, football is like my number one sport. I love to watch. Obviously, I'm not built for it, but uh, I love to watch it. So uh, one of my favorite coaches of all time is Coach Tony, Tony Dungy. Uh, Tony Dungy led the Indianapolis Colts to a Super Bowl years ago with Peyton Manning. It was just an awesome year. Um, he's one of my favorite individuals. Not only is he a Christian, but he is obviously a football coach. So in my book, he's got like awesome, right? So he's great. Uh, and one of the things that Tony Dungy is well known for is the fact that he has this calm, reassuring demeanor. I mean, nothing riles the guy. And so I remember a reporter came to him one time and said, Coach Dungy, you know, how do you stay so calm when a player just messed all up on your field, cost you maybe even the game? Like, how do you stay so calm? And he says, here, this is what I do. Uh, I ask that player three questions. And the first question is this, what went wrong out there? What went wrong out there? And, and the player's response to that question leads them to the second question. And the second question is, well, what should have you done? And then the player's response to that question will lead to the third question. And the third question is, what are you going to do next time? I wonder 
as we deal with our sin in life and as we deal with our transgressions, our shortcomings. I wonder if we don't ask the same questions. What went wrong out there? What should have we done? What am I going to do next time? If we ask those three questions, I think we move from forgiveness to innocence. Last observation. Last observation. It's not just what we confess. It's when we confess it. Our God is a loving father. He comes to you. He has his arms open wide. He wants to be in communion and in conversation with you. Don't just come to him when you have your problems. Come to him with your praises and your rejoicing. Come to him at all times, but keep that list short when something happens so you can stay in communion with him just like you would your own father or just like you would with your own mother. Stay in conversation with him. So I want to take you back uh, to 20 years, 20 years ago, almost, actually 21 years ago. So the uh, year 2000, Y2K, uh, everybody remember that? Uh, well, that's a flashback. Uh, we might still have water and toilet paper. Oh, no. Uh, another story. What? Y2K, who are 2000, my wife and I were in a small group at another church. And man, it was a great small group. And uh, we had other, six other couples in that group. It was wonderful. We were really, really tight. But we were really tight with one couple in particular in this group. It just seemed like, you know, our families meshed well together. Uh, our kids went to the same school. We enjoyed uh, doing many of the same things. We played, you know, the gentleman and I, we played golf all the time. We did a lot of skiing. Uh, we went on vacations. It was just a, it was a great match for us, and we were just living life with them. And so imagine my surprise when my friend did what David did. He blew up his family, blew up his marriage, even blew up his career during that time. And uh, that was hard. When you're really close to somebody and you didn't, I didn't see it coming. Honestly, I didn't see it coming. It just came out of nowhere. So I remember I, I gathered a few of the guys together and I said, you know, we, we got to go talk to him. And so he had moved out of their house and uh, he was living somewhere else. And uh, we went to go see him. And I'm sure it looked more like a lynch mob than a bunch of guys that were coming to, to talk. And so we sat there across from him, and it was awkward. It was weird. How do you broach that subject? It's just, it's, you know, you just have to call it out. And so we sat there, and that meeting didn't go well. That meeting didn't go well. And that was the last time I talked to that guy, 20 years ago. Until Thursday this week. I, putting this message together, you start talking about forgiveness. Yeah, I ask the Lord, I says, hey, who in my life do I need to make right with? Who do I need to, to go talk to? And so the Lord put his name on my heart, and I hadn't thought about him in for years. So I reached out to him a few weeks ago. I said, hey, can we do lunch? And so this past Thursday, we were over at B-Dubs on Alpine there and having lunch. And, you know, you haven't seen anybody for 20 years. A lot of things have changed. And we're both grandparents, for one. But I'm a pastor now. I wasn't a pastor back then. And so he's asking me a bunch of questions. I'm asking him a bunch of questions. And we're sitting there talking. It lasts for about an hour. But finally, I worked up the courage. I worked up the courage. And I said, you're probably wondering why I asked you here. 
And he said to me, yeah, it seemed kind of out of the blue. And I said to him, I'll call him Carl because uh, that's the name of the day. So uh, I said to him, I said, Carl, this is, this is why I called you here. So I have to ask for your forgiveness. I have to say I'm sorry. And he kind of looked at me like the, you know, with a puzzled look. And I, and I said to him, when, when you needed a friend, I wasn't there. When you needed a shoulder, you got one, but you got a cold shoulder. When you needed somebody to sit with you and talk with you, all you got was isolation. When you needed community, I just left you hanging. And I just feel really bad about that. And so I said, I hope you can forgive me. And I'm, I'm not discounting what he did. Please don't hear me there. But there's sins of commission, things that I did or he did that you have. And then there's sins of omission, things that you wish you should have done, things you didn't do. And I wasn't there for him. And so I said I was sorry. And I don't think I'll ever forget his words. He looked me in the face and he said, Blake, it's okay. You're here now. Why do I tell you that story? I tell you that story for two reasons. One is maybe there's somebody in your life that you need to go talk to. Maybe there's somebody when I was talking about that who came into your mind that you need to just make it right with. The second reason I tell you that story is not for the sake that my friend forgave me, which he did, and I'm grateful to that. I'm so grateful that we'll see where that goes from there but not only that but more importantly before I talked to my friend I talked to my heavenly father I needed that vertical relationship to be really good so I asked forgiveness for that and regardless of what my friend would have said to me I know I was right with my heavenly father my friends God wants much 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 more for us than just forgiveness he wants to restore us to innocence, to stand before him holy and blameless. That's our goal. That's what we're shooting for. We're going to transition into now a time of communion, a time for us to reflect, time to celebrate what the Lord has done for us. You were given one of these, hopefully, when you came in. But if you weren't, if you just raise your hand, one of our uh, ushers will come over and give one to you. But before we jump into communion, it says in 1 Corinthians that we ought to examine our hearts and make sure that we're right before God before we partake of the, of the juice and eat of the bread. And so that's what I want to do right now is I want to offer a time for us to get right with God. I want to offer a time where we can come before him and confess the things that are, in, that are keeping us from truly experiencing not only forgiveness, but the innocence that he requires. So the band's going to play for a little bit, and then we're going to take a little time right now before we partake. And I just want you to do some business with God. I just want you to just get right with him. And when the time is right, Go ahead and peel off the top of these things. And uh, there, maybe some of you are wondering why, uh, why we got these um, uh, COVID restrictions lifted and everything. It's like, um, 
we got a buttload of these things, so we got to get rid of them, really. So, uh, just kidding. Just kidding. Sorry. We do have a lot. So, if you're online and would like a box, let us know. Uh, we, no. Do some business with God. Uh, they're going to drop one off if you need one. Somebody's right up front here if you see that. Please. Awesome. Do some time. Do some business with God. Get right with Him. Let's move from forgiveness to innocence. Amen.